Hi, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English-lit podcast. In a stunning turn of events, I'm Amy. And I'm Zach. Chantel is, as we mentioned last week, moving across the country. And she, she can't record with us, with me, this weekend. So I have recruited somebody else to record with me, who is Zach. I'm very happy to be here. And happy Pride. I'm very gay, so even if what we're talking about isn't very gay, I'm here to fill that spot for Chantel. Would you say you're here and you're queer? I would say that. Yeah. I would say that. Yeah. yeah. So what happens is this podcast can't be without its queer person, and usually that's Chantel. So I couldn't be left alone to my own devices, <laughs> essentially. We need, we need representation at Pride. We can't let you be straight on a podcast by yourself. Oh no, that would be a disaster brewing. So this week, because Zach is a person who very much loves comic books, we're going to be doing something that's kind of out of left field for us. And we're going to be talking about comics and plays and also TV shows. We'll see if we get there. It'll be fun. We usually do in person. but <laughs> Usually Zach and I talk about all these things in person, but right now we're separated by some lockdowns again. We're here and it'll be fun. This week, we're going to be talking about Midsummer's Night's Dream from an English lit perspective with me. And then you'll bring in issue 19 of Sandman called A Midsummer Night's Dream about the vi- this very play that came out in 1990. The, the play is older than both of us. And yes. the uh, comic is... It's also older than both of us. <laughs> Midsummer Night's Dreams, the play, is about... Theseus and Hippolyta and Greece. Theseus, Duke of Athens, is preparing for his marriage to Hippolyta, Queen of the Amazons. He commissions his master of revels to find suitable amusement for the occasion. Aegeus, an Athenian nobleman, marches into Theseus's court with his daughter Hermia, this is important, and two young men, Demetrius and Lysander. Aegeus wishes Hermia to marry Demetrius, but Hermia is in love with Lysander and refuses. Aegeus then threatens her with death, because, you know, fathers. Theseus is not a total dumbass and gives Hermia until his wedding to consider her options. It's a whole, it's a whole shebang. She can either get married or go to a nursery. Women can only be brides, either of men or the Jesus. <laughs> with a loved filled brain, Hermia and Lysander plan to escape Athens the following night and marry in secret. They tell Hermia's BFF Helena about their plans. Plot twist though, Helena was once engaged to fuckboy Demetrius before he jumped ship to be with Hermia. So for some reason, hoping to regain Demetrius's love, Helena tells Demetrius of the elopement that Hermia and Lysander have planned. This obviously backfires-ish, because Demetrius and Helena follow our lovers into the woods. You know, like creeps. It doesn't work out. This is where it gets complicated. In the woods are two very different group of characters. The first is a band of fairies, including Oberon, the fairy king. Consort in, in the, in the it, comic? He's yeah, a consort? which I, I prefer. I'm like, yeah, Titania okay. should be queen. He's just like her consort. And Titania, the fairy queen. And they're the, the most important part of the Sandman. Yes, yeah, so we're going to remember them, who has recently returned from India to bless the marriage of Theseus and Hippolyta, the people at the beginning of the story. The second is a band of Athenian craftsmen, essentially like play people, rehearsing a play that they hope to perform for the Duke and his bride, as requested by the Master of Revels, again mentioned earlier. Oberon and Titania are at odds over a young Indian changeling given to Titania by the prince's mother, the prince here being the Indian changeling. The boy is so beautiful that Oberon wishes to make him a knight and Titania obviously refuses because he's hers and possessions and blah blah blah. Seeking revenge because of course there's 
marital troubles here. Oberon sends Puck, an interesting buffoon, he's not an actual buffoon, but like he acts like a buffoon, he's a fool, it's fine, to acquire a love potion that makes that person fall in love with the first thing he or she sees upon waking. Oberon wants to love potion Titania because if she loves something else then maybe, you know, she'll let go of the changeling, she'll be distracted. Oberon being a fairy king and seeing things, he orders Puck to spend to spread some of the potion on the eyelids of Demetrius. So he stops treating Helena, poor Helena, like absolute shit. Like he's super mean to her all the time when they're in the forest and Oberon sees us and he's like, put a stop to it. Except Puck, buffoon, encounters Lysander and Hermia and thinking Lysander is Demetrius, puts the love potion into Lysander's eyes, which is where chaos ensues. Lysander happens to see Helena upon waking and falls deeply in love with her, abandoning Hermia. As the night progresses and Puck attempts to undo his mistakes, which he's bad at, both Lysander and Demetrius end up in love with Helena, who believes that they're mocking her, which I mean fair because like Demetrius has been treating her like shit and she knows Lysander is head over heel with Hermia. Hermia becomes jealous because she's like, why is everybody suddenly in love with Helena? What did she do? Like she tries to challenge Helena to a fight. That doesn't really work. Demetrius and Lysander actually do kind of fight over Helena's love, but Puck, doing something useful for once, um, mimics their voices and leads them apart until, you know, they're lost separately in the forest. So when Titania wakes from her love potion, the first thing she sees is Bottom. So Bottom was a person whose head was transformed into an ass because, you know, his name is Bottom and Bottom also like means ass and he was turned into a jackass, like, like a donkey, like a male donkey. Um, so in, anyways, Titania is in love with a donkey head man um, and apparently this is hilarious uh, and eventually Oberon obtains a changeling, Puck spreads a love potion in Lysander's eyelids and by morning all is well. You know, woo. Theseus and Hippolyta discover the sleeping lovers in the forest and take them back to Athens to be married. Like, there's this big group marriage. Apparently, it's a lot of fun. When in doubt, marriage it out. Demetrius now loves Helena because of the love potion, and Lysander now loves Hermia as he did before. After the group wedding, the lovers watch Bottom and his fellow craftsmen, Bottom who was returned to a person, um, perform their play, fumbling a hilarious version of the story of Pyramus and Thisbe, which is you know, low-key Romeo and Juliet, which, you know, is a tragedy. So, as you can see, there's some, some weird stuff going on here because they think it's hilarious because the actors suck. Like, they're so bad, it's funny. Um, so that's always fun. Love it when you see something. You pay money to go see something. You pay money to bring them to your wedding and they just suck. So when the play is completed, the lovers go to bed, the fairies briefly emerge to bless the sleeping couples with a protective charm and then disappear. Only Puck remains to ask the audience for its forgiveness and you know because he's dumb <laughs> and uh to urge them to remember that the play as though it had all been a dream as he does in this tale except it definitely was not a dream so that's that's the lowdown on this play it's it's a it was a fine play i read it in first year of university and i found that it was really confusing again um having hermia yeah. and helena too close man just pick an pick another well, name also in in the thing we're going to be talking about in a second even the fairies are confused and they're in the play <laughs> like <laughs> they're living the star wars and it's still confusing but i i found that you know reading it was was confusing and i didn't like i didn't like it as much as anything else i've ever read of shakespeare hmm. like i i enjoyed romeo and juliet the second time around I, when I, when I didn't have to perform the kissing scene in front of my entire class, that was unpleasant. Okay. Um, 
and i like i I liked king lear i loved king lear i never read that really for somebody who likes buffy so much i'm surprised you haven't i haven't read it i know there's a cordelia in it but it just never came up in high school and i've never had the jonesing to read shakespeare's plays by myself though i might reread macbeth when you you two get to an episode on that if you do because i loved i i really loved macbeth and i think we might consider it whenever we get to hamilton because there's a pretty intense reference to macbeth in hamilton Mm. so we might precursor our our hamilton episode with macbeth but you know i liked everything else that shakespeare has done except for this like i even liked titus andronicus (laughs) and this just felt it felt like he was like writing five different stories at the same time but none in a fun way yeah no i again i haven't read it since grade nine and um i was not a fan i'm i'm like is this all the is this what all the plays are going to be and luckily they weren't a lot of them were more interesting some of them some of them are not um but this one and then we were at hamlet in grade 12 which i also did not like but romeo and juliet was grade 10 and uh macbeth was grade 11 and macbeth is top tier especially for lady macbeth though i don't like how she loses it at the end i wish she just stayed evil and cruel and ambitious the entire time that would have been fun she's like unsex me fill me full of direst cruelty or whatever and, and i was like yes you go girl keep doing that and then then she's like oh the spot i did something bad i'm like god oh, damn <laughs> It's like her anxiety caught up to her. So my first ever foray into this play was the Sweet Life of Zach and Cody episode, mm-hmm. which had um, Selena Gomez in it. Oh, okay. I, I remember very little. I remember the donkey's head. <laughs> and I remember them being, there being relationship shenanigans. Yeah, so there were relationship shenanigans. In 2006, The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody released an episode called The Mid- Midsummer's Nightmare, <laughs> where the children are preparing to perform a Shakespeare work for school play, which is pretty funny. And like, even then, it was really confusing, and they like dumb it down a lot. Yeah, I, I didn't know it was happening. I didn't think we, we were supposed to know it was happening. I no. just assumed we were too dumb for that. Like, because I, I assume, I don't remember, I assume we could understand the actual people plot and not the plot of the play. Yeah, I agree. And you would think that i would really enjoy this midsummer night's dream play because of the like play within a play which is really on par with what amy usually enjoys mm-hmm. but i find the addition of like bottom and all that kind of stuff kind of like pedantic like unnecessary well, yeah and, and the cast of care like there's just so many of them there's so many of them and i don't think there there needs to be but i, th- I thought it was a really good way of like showing people what a comedy was mm-hmm. i think it's a really good introduction to like shakespearean comedies yeah, and, and that was what my grade 9 English teacher tried, and I think did not exactly succeed at trying to get across to us that, like, this is all supposed to be funny, like, Shakespeare isn't supposed to be serious, like, look at all these ridiculous jokes he's making, but it just, it did not come across in the play that we did. It wasn't until grade 10 that we got, like, interesting facts about Shakespeare as a primer, primer to Romeo and Juliet, where it's like, he, he was likely bisexual was the biggest one I remember, but, like, they're, they're funny, like, look at this dick joke, and, like... Yeah, yeah, when, when you learn that, like, sword is a euphemism for dick, I think your appreciation of Shakespeare as a teenager really jumps up in in your brain. You're like, oh, okay then. Um, but I think before that, you kind of kind of just like amble about and you read the words. And like English is not my first language. Even in first year of university, reading Shakespeare, like just like because I hadn't gotten to the point yet where I was like watching the plays while I was reading them. So like just reading the play was so gosh darn dry. Yeah, exactly. 
And as someone who has English as a first language, Shakespeare is still pretty inaccessible to a lot of high schoolers. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of that is the, you know, the emphasis on like the play text instead of the play itself kind of thing. Not the story, the way the story is being delivered. Yeah, like the story could have been fine. Like, I think it's really funny that like, you know, there's love potions and people get mad at each other and, you know, that. Yeah, but I just didn't know what was happening. No. Just, especially with all those characters. I didn't know who was who. What was I'm like, oh, I because... Because he was like, oh, yeah, because so-and-so was supposed to be in love with so-and-so. And I'm like, oh, I, f- I had forgotten that. Like, or I had never known that. Yeah, or you're just like, you're, you're looking at this cast of character and you're trying to figure out like, okay, but where does like Theseus and Hippolyta come in? Why are why are they even there? Do they need to be there? I think we should just cut down all of the characters because there's too many. There's way too many. There were like five in Macbeth and that was great. <laughs> True. And like, I'm, I'm all for like exiling yourself to like the forest to go and be with who you want to be because that's basically what happens in as you like it which is my favorite play but i'm kind of like i'm over it in here i'm over i'm over the shenanigans and i think like i'm not a big fan of the fantastical aspect of it like the fairy stuff for me like knowing so much about shakespeare's history kind of feels like a weird shot to like the leg or something you know i'm like why why are we incorporating fairies now you know well i have a possible answer for you you have a possible answer do you wanna do you wanna segue our way into into things that aren't as complicated as plays? Let's try. It I, I would not say comic books in general are not as complicated as plays. Depends on the comic book, depends on uh, how many years of continuity it has behind it. Fair. But I'm gonna try to make this as e- easy to understand as possible. So so like I said, it came out in nineteen ninety, part of a series called Sandman written by Neil Gaiman. It's often a series that People who don't read comic books still have read because it's so acclaimed. It's so awesome. It had a very strong female and LGBT fan base even back in the day. Oh, good. Our, our Ojibwe professor, she also read it. Like, she was a big fan as well. So, you know, it had a lot of permeation. And this issue is the only comic to ever win the World Fantasy Award in short fiction. Oh, wow. And there's this urban legend going around saying that after they won it, they changed the rules so that a comic book couldn't win it again. But... That's not true. The comic books are still eligible. None have just been considered since then. So it's like they're eligible, but it's not happening. Yeah, it's not happening, which I, which is fair. A lot don't set out to do, you know, fantasy stuff necessarily. But the story itself is a story about stories, story about dreams. So of course, William Shakespeare, Willie Shakes, features pretty heavily. And this story posits that he, that the reason Shakespeare is so successful is because he was a beggar. And he was super unsuccessful. And then he met the king of stories and the prince of dreams. And they made a deal. And the prince of dreams said, I'll make you successful. I'll give you all the stories that you want as long as you write two for me. And the first of these is Midsummer Night's Dream. So we have we have the prince of dreams to blame for this? Yeah, his, his name is... His name is Dream. Okay, so we have... Or Morpheus. So we can blame Dream. We can be angry at Dream for this play. Oh, yeah. We absolutely can be angry at him for okay. this play. Okay, I like having directed anger. Blame him, especially because through that deal in a roundabout way, Hamnet died in this story. That yeah, they, they, they propose Hamnet's death as being a cause of this deal eventually. Okay, kind of like how um okay, you don't watch Supernatural, but in Supernatural, like every time you do like a crossroad demon deal, so you like you have like ten years of your life left or whatever. Like at some point your soul has to be taken away. Like not really, because he's not it's it's not a deal with the devil or anything. He, he's just getting what you wanted and the the price was to write and perform these two plays 
First, the Midsummer Night's Dream. Second, The Tempest. But they had to perform it in front of fairies. And one of the fairies did something to Hamnet. So the, the scene opens. We see Shakespeare, Hamnet, and the troupe traveling in June of 1593. And they're like, oh, let's stop at an inn. But there's no inn to be found. And Shakespeare says, no, 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 we're not, we're not stopping at an inn. We're performing at these hills tonight, this big hill. Everyone's really skeptical. They're like, who the heck are we performing for? It's a freaking hill. So then the Prince of Stories shows up and says, you have come then, Will Shakespeare. Is it all ready? So they chat, they make sure it's ready. And then out of the hills walks Queen Titania, Prince Oak, or her consort Oberyn, a whole troop of weird, monstrous, ridiculous looking fairies. Puck follows them and they are the audience for the play this evening. Oh, wow. Okay. So they're like watching a play about themselves. Yes, and and the theme kind of throughout the issue is that none of this happened, but it all is true, is what they keep saying. Okay, so like the the dream thing that Pug does at the end of the play kind of thing. Yeah, and also just there's a quote at the very end where Dream says, this was a thank you, and they're like, why? And this, we didn't even do this stuff, and it's not true. And he says, but it is true. Things not need to happen to be true. Tales and dreams and shadow truths that will endure when mere facts are dust, ashes, and forgot. So, like, they'll be remitting. So he wanted mortals to remember them even after everyone was gone. or And they had pieced out of the mortal realm. That was pretty nice of him. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. That's a hip thing to do. Yeah, and they look pretty cool, Sand. They do. I can attest here. He is showing me pictures, and they do look pretty neat. One of them looks like a lobster, though. Yeah, he does look a little bit like a lobster. But I mean, Titania looks great, and that's really all that matters. But Puck is presented as a lot scarier and more dangerous than he is in the play. They even quote it directly as they're watching or seeing some of the fairies chat. And one of them says, quote, the, Thou speakest aright, I am the merit, that merry wanderer of the night. And then one of the large tree fairies says to the other, I am that giggling, dangerous, totally bloody, psychotic menace to life and limb, more like it. Because Puck is very dangerous in this. And he comes back. Right. So Puck isn't just a stupid. He's like vicious. No, he comes back later and helps Loki kidnap a baby. Okay, he bad. So they're watching the play. It's all it's all going great. Titania and Oberyn are liking it. The The players are still incredibly confused. We get a few spotlights on Hamnet. Um, he eventually says, my mother says father has been different these past five years. All he cares about are stories now. If I died, he'd write a play about me called Hamnet, which is not, not subtle. <laughs> no. Also to be pointed out that his mother's name was Anne Hathaway. That's true. That's true. It was. And Anne did Hathaway. She Hath- Hathawayed with Will. That was bad. <laughs> I loved it. I was going to do it. Then I was like, nah, I had to be tame. This is a guest episode. And then you said it, so it's okay. I'm very sorry. As as listeners can hear, if you don't cut this part out, the three of us do have similar senses of humor. We are like one person. Sometimes, yeah. With multiple sexual orientations. Yes. We, we go across the spectrum. Yeah, we're all encompassing. It's fun. And then, so yeah, they're talking, and Titania eventually comments, hey, that little Hamnet, he's kind of cute, isn't he? So then they chat at intermission. So the fairies, like, chat with the players. And it's kind of awkward, but the, the fairies are amused. Of course, fairies are always amused to toy with humans. Exactly. The donkey part happens, and then there's a fairy that is the donkey here. And he says, what's so funny about having a donkey's head, huh? Which I think is is funnier than the whole of the entire play combined. 
I agree. But Titania eventually gets her chance with Hamnet, and she has like a little chat with him. And they get eye to eye, and he goes, and as he's walking away, the letters are really, really small. So it communicates that he's just like shocked and harrowed by whatever he talked about with her. So then at the end of the night, and, and it goes off without a hitch, it's fine. At the end of the night, one of the players is saying like, hey, where's our payment to Oberyn? And he's like, you're asking Oberyn for gold? Fine, here's some fucking gold. And then morning comes. And it's just a bag of yellow flowers. Don't mess with fairies. And they're like, we've been cheated. And Shakespeare's like, are you fucking kidding me? When else would you get a chance to play for an audience like that? The end of the story ends with the fairies over in Titania getting that gift. Dream saying that line from earlier, how it's a gift to them, how they'll be remembered. Hamnet looking all terrified. And Puck, who we have learned, and I've said, later kidnaps the baby who's terrible in this and a trickster, but also terrible. Just like Loki is in this, actually. Much nicer in Marvel. This Loki has a whole speech about how I am fire and wit and hate. I, I think that's a bit beyond the cuddly Marvel Loki. A bit beyond uh, Tom Hiddleston. Uh, but yeah, so he gives him the speech and then the fairies are like, okay, we're leaving forever. And there's a little inkling that Titania is a little into Dream, which gets expanded upon a little later. Can I spoil a 20-year-old comic? Spoiler for a 20-year-old comic, guys. Turn this off now. All right, so the entirety of Sandman is basically dream arranging things and making a series of bad but subconsciously conscious decisions okay so that he dies it's basically a really long suicide oh that's that's a trip he's eventually reincarnated so yeah she's very sad at the end um and she's like it could have been something more i'm so sorry tangent city but eventually they all go back home as i said three times and puck sticks around and this was in the 1500s, and at the end, the comic ends with, like, his current whereabouts are unknown. So, like, in the 90s, he comes and, like, he kidnaps the baby with Loki, who escaped from a pit where his wife was, like, dropping acid on his eyes with the snake and stuff. And, yeah, yeah, so that leads to later. And then it says Hamnet Shakespeare died in 1596, aged 11, implying that the reason he died is because of Queen Titania, that she did something to him, and he ended up there eventually. And, yeah, we see Shakespeare a few times later, one with the Tempest, and a few other times when we see little snippets of like his their past um but yeah so i i really enjoyed it the art is great it's a lot of fun the series itself is fantastic in this at one point that titania says it seems to me that i heard that this tale sung once in old greece by a boy with a liar she's referencing orpheus and in this continuity dream is orpheus's father not apollo and that they often get confused in myth dream eventually had to kill his own son which leads to his death. And Shakespeare, kind of, through this deal with Dream, kills his own son. Interesting. So parallels, lots of fun. And they're making it into a Netflix series with Gwendolyn Christie. Really? Yeah, she's playing Lucifer, which I'm so excited. The casting looks amazing. They're updating the races of a lot of the people. So a lot of people online are mad because they're racist. Well, people get gods. But like, yeah, and a lot of the gods like appear as different races throughout. They're like, they're gods. the form is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. So like, they're like, it just doesn't look like she did classically. And he's like, what does that even mean? She can wear the costume and everything. And like, if she can play the part, any race could be cast as a lot of these characters. Right. This is the same the same Lucifer that has Lucifer the TV series, right? Yeah. So Lucifer the TV series is based on a comic that spun out of this comic, which is written by another writer. But the TV series resembles the comic almost not at all. Lucifer owning a nightclub with Mazikeen is the only, like, the only similarities. Like, in in the comic, like, he creates a second all of creation and becomes the god over it, and it's very different. Well, you know, when it comes out on the Netflix, we'll have to, you know, revisit this, because I'm guessing it's going to be good. I hope so. Neil Gaiman's involved. He was also involved in Good Omens. Which was 
a delicious little piece of television. Exactly. And he said he's getting even more creative control in this. And he's often on Twitter telling people how stupid they are. Neil Gaiman is like one of those authors that just like gives no shit about if people like him because he just wants people to be good kind of thing. He also like, and again, he's like a straight white man and he's not like being a dick. He's just being like, I'm the person who made these people. Like, I'm okay with the casting. Like someone's like, Gaiman must be rolling in his grave. And he found the tweet and he's like, I'm right here. I'm not. <laughs> like, I was involved in this. And in the 90s, he included um, a trans woman character, which was very rare at the time. Um, still and... rare today, let's be real. Yeah. No, still ra- incredibly rare today, especially in Marvel. Yeah. Come on, Marvel. It's, it's Disney. One of the first trans women, and some of the stuff in vocabulary maybe not have aged well, but from what I've seen in writings on it from trans women, it's still like one of the most forward-thinking and progressive portrayals for the time, and also a lot for today. They had Dream Sibling was named Desire, and Desire has no gender, because Desire is what you want, yeah, everything you've ever wanted. So like, there's a lot of progressive stuff that he was doing when no one else was, almost. We like Neil Gaiman. I agree. And his interpretation of this play was significantly better than the interpretation of the original. I agree. And I also, I like that it's a good standalone story, but it also has plot elements that come back, like, in real time, six years later in the story. Like, yeah. So yeah, I, everyone should read Sandman. They want. I've, I've been meaning to, but uh, I have yet to find uh, a copy I can borrow. I have all 10 volumes and I offered in university, but we now live apart. I know, but I was busy because of school. I had all these other things to read, like Midsummer's Night's Dream. <laughs> I was preoccupied. Fair. Now, in honor of Pride Month, I have some... Yes, go Pride. uh, ...LGBT comic recommendations, if we want to talk about it. Yes, I would love love to talk about it. I'm going to say, first of all, that, like, comics are not a genre. They're a medium. So (laughs) there are a lot of different comics that serve different needs. And most of my experience is in superhero comics. But if you're looking for graphic novels about... LGBT stuff. There are a lot of underground comics that like were not allowed to be made about LGBT stuff a long time ago. Like there's Fun Home by Alison Bechtel, who made the Bechtel test. Oh, the Bechtel yes. of the Bechtel test fame. Okay. All right, but on the DC side, um, I, I'll start with probably the most well known, Harley Quinn, Harleen Quinzel. Everyone knows about her. She for years had been like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, subtextually bisexual with Poison Ivy, Doctor Pamela Isley. And now they're finally, like, official in on panel. And the Harley Quinn TV series is a lot of fun. So if you like Harley, check those out. The Birds of Prey movie was fun. But no, I, I recommend a lot of later comics by Harley. And because it's Pride, DC has put out a Pride anthology, which is like a single issue, long issue with a bunch of different stories about different LGBT characters. Yeah, and Marvel's doing one next week, also a Pride month. Uh, But then also on the DC side, we have our newest trans hero named Dreamer. She debuted in Supergirl, the TV series, and has just recently been ported into the comics. And she made her debut in comics in the Pride Anthology. So again, go pick that up. If we want to go flagship, everyone knows about Batman. But now Batwoman, who has a TV show also, which I'm sadly not a big fan of. It's really not very good, in my opinion. But if you like it, I'm happy for you. But the source material, Kate Kane, is amazing and wonderful. She's ornery, stubborn, talented, 
bad at socializing, like everything the Batman is, and very effective. So she, there's a run called Batwoman Elegy, and then she debuted in a series called 52, which also featured Renee Montoya, her on-again, off-again girlfriend, who was a star of a series called Gotham Central. Again, I really recommend that. It's about Gotham's police department. And it's great because at the end, Renee quit because she's too good to be a cop, basically, because <laughs> she, she realizes that the cops are so corrupt. And, and then Renee becomes a superhero, kind of, and she's been in and out of continuity. Then the last DC thing I recommend checking out, there are two guys called Midnighter and Apollo. One's just, like, grim and dark and likes fighting, and the other is, like, sunny and flying and has eye beams and invulnerable. Except they're married! <laughs> so it was a fun take. Yeah. Um, and they've showed up in different permutations since then. I haven't loved all of them. Um, but again, Midnighter showed up in the Pride Anthology, and they beat up some homophobic vampires. So that was fun to see them beat up some homophobic vampires. On the Marvel side, if you want to find queer characters, just read X-Men. Is the biggest advice I can give you. For years, it was subtextual. So, like, you know Storm. Everyone knows Storm. Played by Halle Berry? Yeah. White hair. Amazing. Terrible dialogue and not... She was not great in the movies, but in the in the comics, she's basically the protagonist for a very long time. And she has, like, two or three subtextual girlfriends on over the course of the series. But again, it has to be subtextual. There was a lot of that with the women in particular. It said that this writer did not write a straight character. Everyone was bisexual. They just weren't allowed to say it. Because he was also the one who had Mystique, played by Rebecca Romaine in the movies, and then, sadly, Jennifer Lawrence later. But in the comics, she's queer and a shapeshifter, and she's, her wife is a blind woman named Destiny. Um, and they'd been together for, like, a century. And her name, because Sherlock Holmes is public domain, was Irene Adler. I love this. And the supposition was that she was the Irene Adler and that Mystique was Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> See, a lot of the, and then nowadays, if you want a gay or LGBT X-Fan, unfortunately, there's not a lot of representation for women that are explicitly out. There's one named Karma. She's Vietnamese. Very stuck in the time period that she was created because she's like a Vietnamese refugee from the Vietnam War. But she's a lesbian. But then we've got Iceman of the original X-Men. He's gay now. North Star was the first like gay hero at Marvel. His coming out was really weird. And it took forever. They said he's not a big fan of the ladies. So like it's it was there from the beginning, but it didn't happen until the 90s when he had to like punch a homophobe. And in this weird, stupid expression, super dramatically yell, Yes, I am gay. It was <laughs> he's come far he's come pretty far. He has a husband now. Husband's kinda of boring. But again, North Star's great. He's French Canadian. I am one of those. Gay elf. And then lastly, y'all, if you're listening to this, you probably know who the Scarlet Witch is of the WandaVision fame. Anyway, she has two twin boys in the show, as you saw if you watched WandaVision. And in the comics, they are teenagers. One of them is gay and is married to a space boy who's now like the emperor of space. And they're, they're, so they're very happy. And then her other son is bi. So read Young Avengers if you want a jumping on point there. Any of their runs are a good start. You get a lot of queer superhero content. And I'm definitely missing a thousand people. But that's some of my recommendations. And I'm a very superhero's perspective, but there are always... There's so many comics that are not superheroes. So if you're not a superhero person, have a look at those. As per tradition, you will need to rate both Midsummer's Night's Dreams and the Sandman comic on a scale of 1 to 10 donkey heads. 
rate both for me, please. Okay, discussion though. Because Kendaki has could be construed or interpreted as very bad. Your point is noted, <laughs> but make of it what you will. All right, I would give the play itself one and a half out of ten donkey heads from my grade nine remembering. What about you? Um, oof. Uh, yeah, I think I would have given it like a three donkey head because I thought the I could have had potential, but it it, flub, it flubbered. But the comic, I think I'd give eight out of ten donkey heads because like the reason I wanted to talk about it so much is because it has to a Shakespeare, meaning it's tangentially related to your podcast, and it's a wonderful issue, but like, it, like I still give it an A, and 80 is still an A if you're not American, so it's still great, it's just not perfect. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think like having like just from the summary you gave us and the lobster image I've seen, I would probably give it around a 7, I'm guessing, because I, w- I would spend a lot of time trying to figure out what was going on with the lobster guy. It's just over, and he just wears some red armor and has some horns. He's just a horny guy. Yeah, but he looks like a lobster. Stylish lobster with like drag eyebrows all the fae have the big eyebrows and i'm like yeah okay so averaging that out to four and a half so that is 2.25 out of 10 donkeys for the play and 15 seven and a half out of 10 donkeys for the comic yeah which i think is good i agree high five good rating high five so on that note we thank you for listening to us on this stunning turn of events kind of podcast now that Chantel is leaving the both of us really and it was my first time here first time ever meeting on a podcast if you never want to listen to me again that's totally fine Chantel will be back next time <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming where Zach just sends us feedback. It's great. I, I love listening to this podcast. It, Fridays where it doesn't come out make me sad. So I thank you for being here with me and I thank our listeners for, for listening. If you like this podcast, please review us on Podchaser and iTunes. We would really appreciate a five-star review if that's how you feel about us. You can also reach us on Twitter and on Instagram at UnsightedPod. You can also reach us by email via the email address unsightedpodcasts at outlook.com and we hope to see you again in two weeks. And as always, we're excited unavailable. That was stolen, but yeah, okay. <laughs> Bye, guys.